0: the touch of your lips dear but much more for the touch of your whips dear you can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango
1: hi everybody and welcome to ourgasm this is the podcast where we talk about decolonizing sexuality and gender i am Lindsay g i use she her or they them pronouns
2: I am Lenny Peppers. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I'm Jenny Williamson. My pronouns
3: are she, her, hers.
1: Okay, everybody, we're really excited this week because we have a guest on. As she just said, her name is Jenny Williamson, and she is the co-host of Ancient History Fangirl, which we are going to get into in a little bit. But first, we have some words from our co-host, Lenny.
2: Yes. Um, I just wanted to say that in this podcast, we use the heteronormative terms of gender binary of men and women under the understanding that there are agender, androgynous, bigender, pan-gender, and gender-fluid norms that exist outside of cisnormativity. While we tend to use the male and female as shorthand, this is not meant to undermine the very serious role of colonization in violence against two-spirit and non-conforming individuals. Even more so, this is not meant to obscure the reality that two-spirit and non-conforming people are the most likely to experience sexual violence, as we have mentioned in earlier episodes. We do not believe in the gender binary without fluidity, which is a Euro-Western construct that forced a strict gender division on our societies, which in itself is a form of violence.
1: Absolutely, am so freaking Thank you, Lenny. So... Bringing it back to uh, Eurocentric constructs, let's talk a little bit about Jenny's podcast, Ancient History Fangirl. Um, I just want to say, I have been listening for the past three years, and I freaking love your show. Um,
3: Thank you! <laughs> I think there's
1: a lot of overlap between what we do on Hourgazam and what you guys have been doing for a while now, um, which is you know, one reason, obviously, that we wanted to have you on the show. So... Jenny, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about Ancient History Fangirl?
3: Yeah. So I actually do want to say how much overlap there is because I listened to um, your episode on femininity, femininity, (laughs) femininity um, the other day, and I was just like, it, it was so fun because I was just listening to it and thinking like, oh, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Mm, oh, my God. This goes back to ancient Rome. Oh, my God. Um, so <laughs> I'm so glad that you both invited me onto the show and I get to talk to you both. This is really exciting for me. Um, my podcast is called Ancient History Fangirl. It's been going on for about two years now. It is um, basically our tagline is true stories and tall tales from the ancient world. We talk about... <laughs> Things like we talk about mythology, um, but we also talk about, you know, people in history and, um, you know, personalities in history. We try to focus on women when we can. But even when we're focusing on male people in ancient history, we are, like, you know, we are trying to focus on like kind of put a feminist feminist lens on it. Yeah. So, um, The time period that we have been focusing on is pretty Greco-Roman, and that wasn't really our intention when we started, which is why we're ancient history fangirl and not like ancient Greek and Roman history fangirl, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like it just kind of turned out that we didn't really know what we were doing when we started, and we just (laughs) fell into this really deep rabbit hole, and we haven't been able to claw our way out yet because we just keep finding things that are based on prior research and keep going in different directions and digging our way to the moon or whatever it is we're doing um (laughs) so we want to get out of greco-roman history and we're trying to figure out how to do that Um, Oh, okay yeah but in the meantime what i really i do think that the work that we've been doing is is valuable to an extent because i kind of feel like i'm mucking around in the basement of the patriarchy so (laughs) I do think that I have a lot, of, probably some relevant stuff to say um, that overlaps with your podcast a lot, just based on what I've listened to so far. And I also want to preface everything I'm going to say with, I am in absolutely no way qualified <laughs> to talk about this stuff. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am not a historian. I do not have any advanced degrees in this topic. Um, I have a podcast and I read a lot and I watch a lot of documentaries, so... There probably are going to be historians who are listening out there who might have different opinions on stuff that oh, I think.
1: <laughs> so. I hope that there aren't a lot of historians listening to our podcast because I say a lot of half cocked bullshit on this podcast. Ep- on this podcast, oh, right. like, every episode.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's coming. That's great. That's the overlap.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's where we come together.
3: Half cocked um, bullshit. That is my specialty. <laughs>
1: I mean, to be fair, though, you have done a lot of reading and research for your podcast and just out of your own interest. Like, you certainly know more about the ancient world, especially when it comes to Rome, than I do. I feel like, I guess I can't speak for Lenny. Lenny, you know a lot of stuff, so. (laughs)
2: Oh, well, I think that, um, you know, advanced degrees are colonial institution and that, um, I do most of my research on my own anyway. And so it's essentially the same thing. Perfect. Yeah, point. I mean, there isn't really very many people in Montana right now studying tribal critical race theory. And mm. so I pretty much buy all my materials. I study everything on my own. And then I just have an occasional like historian be like, all right, back it up a little bit here. <laughs> like, I, I, I just have a historian check me every once in a while. and
3: Yeah, same <laughs> We have a lot. It's kind of scary. Like we have a lot of people who are um, archaeologists and classicists and historians who are on Twitter listening to our podcast and occasionally tweeting things at us. And it's just like, oh, I have to actually care about whether I get this right. Oh, no.
1: Yeah, I, I both look forward to and dread that day for orgasm because I definitely do just say some shit sometimes a lot of the time though it's great because Lenny actually researches things and she <laughs> will like either be like you're actually on to something Lindsay or actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I appreciate very much coming from Lenny not so much from mansplainers hmm but yeah, uh, as far as overlap goes, I think that one of the things that really made me think that this would be a good connection is that you really do, you and Jen, really focus on, um, on women's stories and how the behavior of the men, even in stories that are, you know, very much about men, like, mm-hmm. how that behavior is ridiculous and <laughs> often, like, <laughs> yes. disgusting. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I, don't mean that in like a man-shamey way, like oh, cut your toenails. Like I mean, like you know, they were like marrying like sixty-five-year-old men off to like fourteen-year-old girls, and how that's just that's not cool. We don't, yeah, we don't do that. And uh, um, and really just calling that out. Um, like I remember there was a series of episodes that you did where you kept having to refer to this group of men in ancient Rome as the best men. Ugh. And Yep. <laughs> yeah, and every time that either of you said that phrase, you'd both go, "Ugh." <laughs> and I just thought it was such a great like recurring joke. So, I think we're very much on the same page here. Yeah, um, so
3: the the best men were um the conservative faction in the Senate uh, around the time of Julius Caesar. Oh. Yeah, the optimates, okay. I believe was the word, I think. Opti it's optim- it's something in Latin. I think it was the optimates. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so were the best men into Caesar or not liking Caesar? Like, was he considered conservative?
3: No, he was a populari, which was a populist. Mm. So he was the opposite.
1: Hmm.
3: Yeah. Um, Interesting. Not to say that, like, populism is necessarily conservative or progressive. I mean, there's definitely strains of both. But I and I think for his time, I don't know that I would even call Julius Caesar progressive. Like, I don't know that I would put that name on him. Like, I would... He was a populist, which meant that he drew his um, power from people who were, like you know, not the the rich and powerful,
1: right?
3: But there, hmm. it's kind of hard to apply like um, it's kind of hard to apply our sense of things politically to their sense of things in certain ways, and then sometimes it's weirdly applicable.
1: Yeah, yeah, I always yeah. got the impression that Caesar was very much a popularityist. Like, yeah, he just the, wanted that, everybody that to is,
3: like him. Yes. that And directly <laughs> bribing people with, like, you know, big parties and, and gladiatorial fights and stuff. Yeah. Throwing money at it. Mm.
1: <laughs> sounds familiar. Sounds like, um, sounds like someone who's been powerful here recently. What was what was his name?
3: I forgot that mm. name. I don't know. I forgot that face. I have
1: no idea. stricken like... that name from the records. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I
1: dig it. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, excuse me, I have to clear my throat for a second. <coughs> Man, I had one phone call earlier today, and now I'm, like, all scratchy in the throat. Um. Okay, where were we? <laughs> um. Okay, so I think the one, the, the sort of through line that we were really seeing between Ancient History Fangirl and orgasm is basically... Rome was the colonizing force in Europe and Northern Africa for a really long time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I am very fuzzy on this. Like I said, I say a lot of half-cocked shit. But my understanding is that, you know, the forces of Rome colonized Europe and Northern Africa. um, And then even after the Roman Empire fell, that sort of the same brand of control was applied to those areas via the Catholic Church which eventually was all exported by way of imperialism to the Americas and now pretty much the entire world. Um, and so a lot of the time when I'm listening to your podcast I'm thinking about like what sounds familiar to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I wanted to have you on to talk about the gender roles and you know, the ways that people saw sexuality in ancient Rome So that we could kind of see if there's any actual through lines that feel familiar and feel like they may have come down to us today
3: well i think that you guys are going to be possibly pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised (laughs) or not surprised i'm not sure if this will surprise you but (laughs) i would say that yes there are a lot there are, are a lot of those um Yeah. I mean, I really think that what you said about um, colonization is absolutely true about ancient Rome. Like the way that I've come to see it, especially like since we've been kind of branching out from Rome itself and talking about how it colonized different cultures. We talked about Egypt on one of our um, arcs. And now we're talking about um, we talked about Gaul. We're talking about Britain now and Scotland um, is just how ancient Rome 2000 years ago visited this trauma on these ancient cultures, and then those ancient cultures, specifically Britain, took that trauma, magnified it, and blew it up throughout the rest of the world over millennia. So, and that's not to say that other cultures did not colonize because they certainly did, but I think that our global form of colonization stemming from Europe today can be traced back to ancient Rome in a lot of ways. Um, Yes, I'm so right. Awesome. Yeah, like, I, I really do see a lot of similarities. And like I said, like, we want to be a podcast about all of ancient history, but we've really only studied this one area of history so far. So there might be a lot that I'm missing there. I might be leaving some things out. But this is what I, I'm getting the sense of as I go. Awesome.
1: Well, yeah, I, I want to hear all about it. So let's just let's just dig in. Like, yeah, what can you tell us about kind of the broad strokes ish of gender roles in ancient Rome. Like wh- how did they work? Well,
3: I think that gender roles, um, I'm really glad that we're talking about this as one small facet of that. Um, so how deep in the weeds do you wanna get? Because I can talk about women's roles in terms of the legal sense of things, or I can talk about the founding myths of Rome and what they what those tell us about women's roles and the messages women got you know, from childhood growing up. Um, start. I don't
1: um, know. Lenny, do you have a preference?
2: I'm kind of interested in the second part of that actually.
1: Yeah? The mythology? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mythology.
2: Okay. So,
3: um this is going to get into some dark stuff. I just should mention ahead of time that it talks about um rape and suicide. I don't know if you guys give like content warnings for that.
1: No. Oh, the warning. whole thing.
2: Yeah, the whole thing has a content warning on it because yeah. we talk a lot about murdered and Indigenous women and um, you know, things like that in this show, so.
3: Okay, yeah, then in that case, that's probably, probably good. Um, okay, so there are two founding myths, um, that I want to talk about. Ancient Rome had a lot of founding myths, um, and two of them always really stood out to me as sending a message down through time to all of the women and girls in ancient Rome, like, this is how you behave, Mm -hmm. this is how to be a woman, and and they're very, very dark. So... One of them is called The Rape of the Sabine Women. Um, It's one of the very earliest earliest founding myths of Rome. And it's when the founders, Romulus and Remus, um, gathered together this band of of men. They were kind of like miscreants and 'er ne'er-do-wells and bandits who'd been kicked out of their previous communities. And um, they all went together and founded a new city and they had not brought any women with them. So they kidnapped some women from a nearby community and made them their wives. And um, all these kidnapped women were now married, quote unquote, to these men and lived with them and had children with them. And in the meantime, their fathers and brothers and previous husbands and existing family members prepared to go to war against the Romans. And the women who were now like embedded in this culture and had children with the Romans had to step between the two groups and beg them to stop this war. Oh, so, God. yeah, so that's one role that women were, you know, supposed to have that I picked yeah. up from this story as kind of influencers, peacekeepers, extreme heavy lifters in terms
1: of emotional labor. Yeah, for real. Like, in okay, horrible circumstances. <laughs> yeah, like that's just terrible planning. You decide to start a city and you don't bring any women and you're like, oh, let's just go steal some. Like that's the right. worst <laughs> Worst vacation planning ever.
3: Women are property. Um, it's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'd be interested to know, like, I've heard versions of this story. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, I remember one of them is in the the musical Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Have mm-hmm. either of you ever seen that one? I
3: vaguely remember that. Um, but I think yeah. that is kind of similar from what I remember.
1: Yeah, I think that they were using that as maybe, like, the the base material. But there's a song in that musical called The Sabin Women. Oh. That they make it all sound like, like, these guys don't know that it's supposed to be pronounced "sabine." and ha ha ha. And it's, like, a funny story. And they sing this kind of, like, hearty, wholesome song about the Sabin Women. Oh, boy. And yeah. That's super yeah, dark. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh and I mean, in the musical, I can't remember who wrote that musical. If it's like a Rodgers and Hammerstein or what, but I mean, it's all presented like very wholesome, obviously. Oh, um, but right? like, I wonder if, like, do the ancient sources of, like, that talk about that myth? Do they use words like rape, or are they calling them like their wives? Like, well, how explicit are they? So the ancient really happened?
3: I, I would say that I do not read Latin so mm. what I'm getting it from is um, translations and mostly what I get it from is you know 1800s translations that are in the common oh. kind of um, what is that the co- in the, the commons basically like I can just look it up online and read it um, right. so the translations that I've read frequently do kind of obscure that and you know it's like okay. it's kidnapping you know. But you know what kidnapping is, like, in the ancient world. That's what it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they just were so happy about it. They had all these babies. Hooray!
3: Hooray! (laughs) Babies for all!
1: Right. Hooray! I mean, yeah.
2: So it's like... (laughs) I was just reading this article, and I was trying to find it again, but it was talking about um, the giving of women as gifts and what Mm -hmm. exactly that means and uh, how it came down to really um literally being like the women offering like be given as an offering as a way to ensure the male's family line and so the gift Mm -hmm. is actually the ability to produce more humans
1: Yeah. yeah
3: i've seen this show up in different parts of history that we've covered as well um like, uh, there's this people called the Picts in ancient Scotland mm. who supposedly had that as part of um, a founding myth that you don't get from the Picts themselves, you'd get from their enemies, basically, but that they had these women given to them by some people in Scotland who didn't want them to settle there. They wanted them to take these women and go settle over here, but also to um, decide on who their kings were through the matrilineal line. So it was like keeping some oh. kind of control over them.
1: Huh. Yeah. Oh, right. And so the the Romans being Romans would be like, oh, yeah, thanks for this awesome gift. Totally cool, bro. Right. <laughs> but like probably those women were like kind of a big deal if they were if their bloodline was like a big part of the equation of trying to retain control. They were probably a big deal in those cultures. Yeah. Like high, high ranking women. You mean?
3: Yeah. I would, I would think so. Um, the source that I read, I don't remember them mentioning it, but if they mention them at all, they're probably high ranking with. Them.
2: Another thing that I came across was in the same article about how men are rarely, if ever, given as gifts, mm-hmm. but are considered uh, the only time that you really hear like the terminology of men and gifts is when a man dies in war, it is con- like the mother is, has given this gift to, um, America to like die in war, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. that's like the context the of Lord like, God. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: Right. People so it's are, like something are, that the
3: mother gives again.
1: Gross. Yeah. People are people, people, listen, people are people. <laughs> They're not You know, gifts. the ancient Romans Thank had you. a
3: problem with that. <laughs> like, well, there's degrees of people really is
1: what they would say. Probably. <laughs> I think so, there are some people here now that would say the same thing. Oh, absolutely.
2: I hadn't really thought too much about it, but when you were talking about um how they went and like took these women as their wives, I'm really sure that there was some sort of like gift giving language as there tends to be like from the co- like the from the takers side, like, oh these were our gifts, you know. These were our treasures, you know, they're mm-hmm. not like really referred to as like we stole these women and then like forced them to have our children, you know, from from their well, own points of view in history, right? Or... Um,
3: so what I remember, um, what I remember from reading the ancient sources, and it's been a while since I actually like went back and read this in the original not Latin English translation, um, mm-hmm. I might be screwing up the story a little bit, but what from what I remember, like the ancient Romans were kind of proud, that they went out and stole these women from these other people. And it is, you know, depicted as a violent act, but a violent act that they could be proud of because they're so intrepid and they're Ah. so strong and burly and manly, gender roles. burly. (laughs) Yes, uh, and warlike, you know, and that was a big thing about the Romans is that they were always ready. They were rough and ready to go to war and they were really good at that. They were colonizers and they'd been colonizers from the first minute. Um, yeah,
1: totally. Good point. And, mm. and
3: that was something
2: that they were proud of.
1: I was just going to say, like, they, they went and took those women because they deserved them, I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe they so. took the
2: land and therefore they're entitled to women. So there's, like, here another connection between, like, the women and the land, like, and being entitled to it by right. way of yeah. colonization. Basically, yeah. the doctrine of discovery, but, like, back then. <laughs> what's the doctrine of discovery uh the doctrine of discovery is like the um doctrine that basically says that it's okay to take land from um savages or heathens um because it's god's will
3: well that is uh, i see a lot of parallels with ancient rome there
2: Hmm. yeah it definitely started it stems back (laughs) To and a little before ancient Rome,
1: absolutely, oh, wow. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so this—it's like an overarching philosophy that we're talking about.
2: There's a point where it's definitely like a thing, but there were there's build-up in history that justifies it becoming a thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, I see what you
2: mean.
3: Okay. Yeah. I think with the ancient Romans, it was a little more cultural than religious because, excuse me, they were okay with. um Conquered communities or colonized communities keeping their gods Um, a lot of the time they would take Roman gods and kind of supplant them over The older Mm. gods that had been there before but it was it was more or less a polytheistic society up until Christianity started really gaining steam Um, So I don't know that they necessarily used the justification of like imposing a religion on people as explicitly as the Europeans did but I think it was Mm. like a cultural thing like we're civilized we're going to bring civilization to you people who can't even read or write things down and who you know like they yeah. had all these sort of myths about people that were really othering that kind of crop up a lot in the ancient sources and you can see those being used as an excuse for colonization oh yeah
2: totally and that's what it came down to was like um it drew a line kind of between the difference of like colonization where they come in and they allow the people to like mostly live the way that they lived before versus settler colonization which Mm -hmm. is where they straight up kill the people or move them completely out of the area that they're colonizing
3: yeah it make a wasteland and call it peace kind of colonizing yeah Yeah, so that's the rape of the Sabine women. And what I picked up from that is like have, like women are supposed to be the sort of peacekeeping force, the sort of um, temp, sweet, soft, tempering hand that calms the male rage and desire for war and all that stuff. Um, Right. Even if you've been raped and made to bury your rapist child, even then, like (laughs) in extreme circumstances. So there's a second one called the rape of Lucretia and yeah, wow. this one, yeah, this
1: more rape. <laughs> Just yep. rape it all over the place, awesome. Not,
3: it, welcome, to, welcome to ancient Rome. The situation is <laughs> suboptimal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this one takes place during a later time. So Rome had this period when it was um, a monarchy, according to the founding myths. And the monarchy period is basically pseudo-history. Like it's mm. mythical, there are all these mythical kings. Um, And then there's a period where it transitioned from a monarchy to a democracy and the democracy is what we have actual attested historical evidence for Mm -hmm. um but this story the rape of lucretia is still um, pseudo historical or mythical and in this story um there's this guy who he's the son of a king and he hears about this wife of a friend of his who's a member of the aristocracy, and this wife is, is her name's Lucretia. This lady, she's, um, she's supposedly um, extremely good and pure, and she doesn't hang out and drink with her friends. She just sits in a room all day by herself and weaves wool into clothes. And she's just like, she absolutely follows the dictates of femininity to a T. She is the perfect, pure, chaste wonderful woman according to ancient roman standards that's boring so boring very industrious (laughs) very pure very chaste lives up to all the ideals and um she he i guess like is very intrigued by this description of her and he winds up going over to his friend's house and raping her and wow, what a
1: what a nice guy. So, yeah. yeah. There's
3: this, there's this whole story about how he wakes her up when she's sleeping and he tells her that if she doesn't sleep with him, he's going to kill her and then kill an enslaved person in their household and put that person's body in the bed so that everyone thinks that she and him were having sex. And Oh my god. Thus damaging her relationship or her reputation. And so she uh, agrees to have sex with him under duress and eventually winds up having to tell her father and husband. And then she takes her own life out of shame. So that's another super fun founding myth that all little girls in Rome would have heard growing up. Hmm.
1: Wow. Yeah. I don't even know what the moral of that story is supposed to be. Like she literally didn't do anything wrong. That's the what moral of What are supposed to story? take away from that? What I like,
3: take away from it is that it's you know if you want to be like the the most if you want to really follow the dictates of femininity you have to die for them. Ew. Yeah, like you can't you you have you could follow all the dictates and everything you could do everything right and something could still happen to you and if you really want to be the chase pure good woman and somebody violates you in that way um, The only, you know, like, and and the father and husband, from what I remember, it's a little bit fuzzy, but I think that they begged her not to and told her not to hurt herself, and she did anyway, from what I remember. Um, But yeah, she's held up as, like, you know, the most pure, extreme, wonderful vision of womanhood in
1: in ancient Rome. It kind of sounds to me like an argument for not being the pure, chaste, perfect woman. Like, Mm. She did not have a good life.
2: Yeah. It definitely sounds like that today. But at the same time, like, um, I can see how it would be like, if you're going to be, like, the purest, chastest, like, woman, then, you know, like you said, be ready to die for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, like, men are probably going to want that. And so, you know, don't be too, like, It's like the standard today where they're like, wear makeup, but don't wear too much makeup. Wear, like, dress (laughs) nice, but don't dress too nice, you know? It's almost the same um, lesson, but, like, I want to say, like, less, like, I don't know, because it's still fucked up as a lesson today. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It is.
1: But, like... Warning, we do not endorse these stories. <laughs> we do not.
3: But, you know, you see, like women are expected to uphold in even today. Um, if you're pursuing fem- femininity, femininity, <laughs> if you're pursuing that, there's no level of um, self-harm, you know, like wear the uncomfortable shoes, get do mm. the uncomfortable waxing. Um, yeah. Get the plastic surgery. Don't let anybody know because one of the central ten- tenets of femininity is that it must be effortless or oh, appear right. effortless. Oh, right. Yeah, like get, oh, yeah. get
1: your face like altered and alter your physical body. But don't do it in such a way that it's clear that you had like a nose job. Yeah, absolutely. Because people don't like that.
2: If something yeah. does happen to you, then don't let everyone know that anything happened to you. Just carry on like nothing happened or kill mm-hmm. yourself. I mean, that's kill yourself. still the lesson today. Like what it comes yeah, that's down really to. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and,
3: like, and... literally, if you're looking at something
2: like um, anorexia. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We like, just had um, hundreds of years to like make the message, like disguise the message more in, you know, in our media and stuff. But it's still the same thing, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? And I feel like in both of these stories, it's like the the women are bearing the responsibility for the men's actions. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. we're not hearing yep. about what happened to the guy who raped her. Nope. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm sure that he figures into the story also after the rape. But, like, as far as we know, he just, like, went off and had a nice life. And everybody was like, hey, what a guy. You're great
3: i don't think so Um. i forget what happened to him i could probably google it if you super want to know but the important thing is is this woman in this story you know Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah, like Like it's i am curious about like what what roman boys were supposed to take away as like their lesson from that story yeah is it like is it the same as the sabine women where it's like when you see something you want you take it yeah i mean i really hope he had like a horrible death but i feel like i can't expect that
3: when you see something you want, you take it, I think is a is a key lesson you could get from both of these stories, and I think that definitely ties into colonialism.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Gender roles Absolutely. and colonial roles. To all yeah. they're all in a big knot in ancient Rome in the basement yeah. of the patriarchy.
1: Yeah. Well, and like it's it's interesting that these stories are both I mean, they're both pre like Hardcore colonialization that came later in the history of Rome.
3: Right, they are. Yeah.
1: Um. um I, I guess the Sabine women was kind of early colonization, but it certainly wasn't on like the same scale as you know later history. Um, but it definitely yeah. sets that precedent of like, yeah, see what you want, take it, you deserve it. You're Roman. Mm-hmm. You're Roman. You're, you can you're have whatever. You have whatever you
3: want. Make <laughs> might makes right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Very much so. Ugh! yeah god so those are like foundational stories that then they built a whole culture on and then exported that culture yes god that is very dark when you said that they were going to be dark i was like oh what you mean like you know zert like this is greek but like zeus turning into a bull and like raping someone i know about that but oh that happened too yeah 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 so how do you think that the messages there, like, carried forward as Rome was being built into more of a complex society?
3: Well, I think that there are some... I, th- I think that actually ties into your other question, too, um, about gender expression inside and outside the norms. Mm-hmm. And so we can, what we can do is we can take a look at what gender, what gender was supposed to be and what happened to people who stepped outside of it. So okay. yeah. Um, so as far as I know, you had a question about um, was there room for gender expression outside of the norms? So the norms, let's let's just review um, women, oh. the soft, sweet hand of temperance on the shoulder of the warlike man. And a lot of that is it has to do with power and how women are supposed to operate in terms of agents of their own destiny. Uh, women were not supposed to necessarily have a lot of agency. There was you're supposed to live. You're supposed to be in the home as a woman. Um yeah be a, a wife and mother. Uh, women at the upper echelons of society were not supposed to have direct power. Um, the way that women wielded power in ancient Roman society was supposed to be very much behind the scenes, very much, you know, softly influencing their husbands. Um, oh, okay. Some women were very good at that, and some of them did not do that. And I'm going to talk about some examples. Um, yeah, And, um, of course, men were supposed to be, you know, like strong and taking action and warlike. And if you see something you want, you take it. That that was what a man was. Men wielded power in the outside world. Women did not,
1: you know. Um, This all sounds very familiar to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sounding familiar?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's clearly still something that's pushed today, you know. Uh, I mean, we have the saying behind every great man is a great woman. Well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) obviously, that wasn't a saying that stood in my household, but I was raised by a bunch of nasty women. So (laughs) (laughs) good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Women were not supposed to um,
3: even higher levels of society. Women were not usually taught to write so they didn't necessarily write things down and tell their stories so we don't have a lot of stories of women directly today um and um let's submissiveness that was a big thing um Hmm. so that was kind of women's roles and it was all in opposition to men's roles men were supposed to be the opposite of that and it was very very rigid um Okay. There, there was not much of an accepted social category for people who stepped outside of the gender binary, and that's not to say that people didn't step outside of the gender binary because they absolutely did in a lot of ways. Um, but there was a huge social price for it in ancient Rome. Um, oh. So I'm going to talk about how men were perceived first um, in ancient Rome. One of the worst things you could call a man that you wanted to insult was to call him effeminate,
1: and oh. this. That that sounds familiar, too. Hmm. Yeah,
3: this is this is really not going to shock either one of you. Um, So people. There was a lot of um, discrimination against men who had what people saw as effeminate traits. And you see this cropping up all the time in the ancient sources when um, writers are describing emperors that they didn't like. They always describe them as having various effeminate traits, according to ancient Rome, what their idea of an effeminate trait is. Um, one of the big things was if you have sex with a man in ancient Rome, um, as a man, if you're a cisgender man and you have sex with another cisgender man, um, that was not necessarily automatically something that um was gender nonconforming, as long
1: as you were on top. Oh, interesting. So they like really wanted to know the details when that was happening. Oh yeah. They really wanted to know who was on
3: top <laughs> at all times. That was very important to them.
1: Oh, my God. So, so, like, today, when someone finds out that you're gay and they ask who's the man and who's the woman, that goes mm. back to ancient Rome, too. Are we sure just does. Romans? Are we just yes. straight up all Romans right
2: now? <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I hate to also, like, Think about the same idea in the film Dances with Wolves, where Tentu Cardinal actually, like, gets on top. Uh, during the sex scene in that movie and then everybody's like that is so woke and I'm like no it's not oh my god (laughs) shocker yeah that's so woke since like what ancient Rome what
3: (laughs) so actually that makes me think I don't know if there were Opinions on ancient Rome about heterosexual sex and the positions that women were supposed to take. I imagine that they were all supposed to be missionary, but Mm. I didn't research that. But now I'm super interested in it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, me too, because it could be anything. Maybe like pile driver was the way to go. And that was just like (laughs) expected that you'd be really athletic and able to like be on your head for a really long time. I have no idea.
3: (laughs) I mean, I would not call that a passive position at all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A an athletic position. Very yes. for both parties. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, like so it was they had visceral contempt. Like it leaps off the page for anybody who took what they saw as a passive role in sex. So if you took the D instead of giving the D, whether you oh. were a man or a woman, that was ah. demonized. And um and and really like if you were a man and the ancient Romans thought mm-hmm. that you were sleeping with another man and you were um, the bottom. <laughs> that was, yeah. that was like, you know, fodder for really bad teasing. Um, hmm. Yeah. That's, Which essentially so like, comes down to shame. Shaming. I think shaming mm-hmm. is the appropriate word. Demonizing even like teasing is not, it's not like serious enough,
1: you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also just like so contemptuous of women. They're mm-hmm. like, it's Like, here's your role. You're supposed to be passive. You're supposed to be the receiver, and we're going to shame the hell out of you for it. So, like, you literally can't win.
3: Yeah. Is it, it, that sound familiar? Like, <laughs> well,
2: I mean, that's a part of keeping the power structure in place is like instilling mm-hmm. a binary and then enforcing it and making sure that everyone else enforces it too. And so mm-hmm. the binary here is like masculine versus feminine, but obviously, right. there's tons of other ones good versus evil uh colonized versus colonizer, you know. And so what it comes down to is, like, the power position is the colonizer or right. the masculine or the...
1: the If you see it or if you see something and you want it, take it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that clearly can't be the passive role in a sexual relationship. You Women can't aren't that kind of person. Yeah. You yeah. have
2: to have mm-hmm. a side to demonize and you have to have this side to uphold. And if you don't have something to uphold, then you start to lose the power in this situation very quickly.
3: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why they did not like anyone who stepped outside of the binary, because if you step out, if people are stepping outside the binary, there are men who are not, quote unquote, acting like men and women who are, quote unquote, not acting like women. All of a sudden, you don't have those strong um, boundaries. and. You don't you can't assign the qualities to women who everyone agrees are women like there's no, you know, changing like gender um, fluidity at all. Women are women and men are men. And if women are not accepting those qualities and men are not embodying those qualities, you don't have a justification for oppression. Exactly. So,
2: right.
1: And chaos, yeah. chaos, if chaos, we're not rules. People, either chaos yeah. or
2: <gasps> peace. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Not the Lenny, kind of peace we like.
1: <laughs> Lenny, peace is only found in law and order.
2: I don't
1: know if you know this. That's how it works. <laughs> law I don't
2: order. know that. I study law, oh. and it doesn't seem to have any, like, correlation, really. Lenny, Lenny, I don't know if you know this, but actually, <laughs> all of <laughs>
1: all of those tribes and different peoples living outside of Rome at this time it it was complete chaos all the time they had no that's idea right. what they were doing they needed oh, yes. some law and order
2: and that's what mm-hmm. it came down to that's for like those true. who got colo- i mean who have been colonized throughout history is they must be living in chaos because they aren't doing mm-hmm. what we're doing and that can't possibly work oh my
3: god they, they have strong, nuance in hand yeah
2: Yeah, like... Uh, That's uh, coming from somebody who is um, considered the colonized, but acts uncolonized. I mean, I just got called uppity this week. (laughs) So... What? Somebody called you what? Uppity. Like, because I wasn't on on the side of the binary that I was supposed to be on. Uh, Oh, that's...
3: That sounds familiar to me. Yeah. Yep. That's and and you know it doesn't surprise me like it really does not shock me at all that whenever um, people who are extremely invested in the patriarchy now today feel insecure about their position in that patriarchy they all of a sudden get really upset about what bathrooms transgender people are using. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah chaos. I think right. They are they're afraid that we will literally descend into chaos if the rules aren't being followed by everyone. Right.
3: Well, they're afraid of losing their own social position. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um which
2: like, uh gendered bathroom do you think that they like preferred in ancient rome for you, there was gendered bathrooms in ancient rome right
3: um well there were public bathrooms <laughs> that basically only men used as far as i know like i don't think women were supposed to be outside to that degree um <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs>
2: i kind of want to know yeah. all about that now like how far back do public gendered bathrooms like go? I
3: That's don't a really know. Cool like, question. I don't think women were supposed to pee in public, in public spaces at all. Like, from what I understand, I don't haven't re- done a deep dive on bathrooms. There's a different podcast called The Explorers who does a lot Ooh, of that, stuff like uh. that. She's great. I, okay.
1: She is. I've only listened to a few episodes of hers, and I need to get back to them. They're really interesting. But to make up... She yeah, covers she, a lot of bathrooms.
2: But to make up for all of those people in know, history, I, guess, yeah. I use the bathroom in public <clears> as <throat> often as possible, just to... <laughs> you That's know, right. Just to, to, yeah, like, take it back. You know, mark my territory <laughs> for the sisterhood. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> I feel like probably what ended up happening if there were literally no like public bathrooms for women in ancient Rome is you had like women peeing in alleys. Oh so, like, sure, probably kind of the opposite of now, where like mm-hmm. dudes kind of. I mean, at least in New York, they kind of pee wherever the hell they want. And it makes me mad every time because I'm like, I I can't just drop trow and pee wherever I want. That's like extremely dangerous for me. I mean, you can't. And you, sir, should not be able to do that in public either. I I will say that
3: cities like ancient Rome were not safe for women a lot of the time. So I I would not think that women were necessarily peeing in public a lot. Like, Mm. I I don't know. Oh, yeah. But I wouldn't guess mm. no.
1: <laughs> we would know if they had been taught how to write. Yeah. It,
2: right. Well, If they yes. written it down. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like Missoula where yeah. you can just pee on a Culligan's line and nobody cares. <laughs> just lift a leg and just pee. That's all.
1: <laughs> I mean, they wore relatively, like, uncomplicated clothing. It would have been pretty easy.
3: Well, I mean, they wore a lot of large pieces of cloth that had
2: to be elaborately folded.
1: I mean, it depends. And I guess I- I don't know what their like underlayers situation I was. I know. Like. I was
2: just wondering the same thing.
1: Jenny, tell well, us what tell us what underwear they wore. We need to know everything.
3: <laughs> you know what's actually really interesting. Um, again, this isn't an area that I necessarily have done a giant deep dive. But from Damn what it. I understand, women did wear underwear that we would recognize today. There's this show called Rome on HBO that shows a woman wearing what looks like kind of a bikini underwear that's kind huh. of tied with straps, like tied at the sides oh right i forgot that that's that's accurate according to what we know Um, interesting no way yeah so that's for the bottom and for the top they would have had kind of like a i guess like a sort of a cloth a winding cloth around the boobs from what i understand Hmm. it's um there's a word for it oh gosh what is it called there's a special word
1: probably i'm forgetting it now u.s strophium it's called a strophium
3: i i think or maybe that's a sweat scraper. I'm not hundred percent sure. <laughs> Wait, a what? A sweat scraper? Yeah, like, like a thing to scrape your sweat off of your skin.
1: Like a sweat squeegee?
3: Yeah, it looks like a <laughs> long metal thing that's like slightly curved. It's like a blade that you scrape on your skin to scrape your sweat off. Like for horses? Yeah, yes, but for people.
1: Oh, weird. Yeah, that was a thing. I mean, I, I guess it's it was very warm in Rome.
3: People sweat a lot. It was maybe more of a thing in ancient Greece, but I think they used it in ancient Rome too. Yeah.
1: Um, well, uh, now we need to do a whole episode on that. I'm fascinated. But but <laughs> Let's get back to <laughs> let's get back to the the gender roles stuff. Gender roles.
3: <laughs> so I was telling you guys about how how they really had to know at all times who was the bottom and who was the top if there was gay yeah. sex
1: going on. Oh, we
3: went um, way so off the interesting track. interesting
1: to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we got here. <laughs> um, but I think that is really interesting, though, that, like, I feel like today in the U.S., uh, obviously, attitudes are changing quite a lot. But historically right. speaking, just to be a man and be gay or to be a man who sleeps with men is looked down upon as inherently feminine, effeminate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that they were, they were in a way more discriminating, but also in a way much more nosy.
3: <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> you could, you could be a very manly gay man in ancient Rome. Not to say that, like, there are not gay men now that are very masculine. I'm not saying yeah. that. But this is how John they Wayne. saw it, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah, Right. <laughs> you could, you could be gay John Wayne
2: in ancient Rome as long I as you were the top. <laughs> wasn't John Wayne the gay John Wayne in America? Like, <laughs> oh, was he gay? Shit. I don't know. Was oh, he? Oh, shit. There were were rumors. Not surprised.
1: (laughs) That would be very interesting. I haven't
2: heard those rumors. Oh, Mm -hmm. I have a whole book here I'm happy to share with you.
1: Oh, boy.
3: Not surprised at all. Um, There were some people, like, for women who stepped outside the gender binary, um, there was a special name. It was called Dux Femina, and that's a a female leader. Um, And these were, yeah, these were, like, you know, higher higher status women who, um, baldly seized power as opposed to operating behind the scenes with a gentle touch. Mm. Um, there are some specific examples of this. For example, Fulvia who was, um, Mark Antony's wife before he met Cleopatra. She yeah. was a woman who led armies in battle. Whoa. Um, badass. Oh, she was great. We did a whole episode on her. Um, Agrippina the Younger who was um, both the niece and wife of the Emperor Claudius and the mother of the Emperor Nero and she exercised a lot oh. of power as empress
1: that explains a lot about Nero <laughs> <Yes>. yeah <laughs> well actually um,
3: Nero wasn't her son with Claudius he was her son
1: with somebody oh, okay. Um oh wow okay That that's an interesting aspect like if she yeah. could have a son who went on to become emperor Mm -hmm. but he was not but she had had children with more than one man that's like that's a status thing I guess
3: and yeah I mean it it was a little like (coughs) marriages were a little different for but her previous husband um I think they'd all died at that point or I forget exactly there were a few before uh Claudius one of them had died and there was a suspicion of poisoning I don't remember what happened to the other one. Huh. Um, yeah, uh, Cleopatra was sometimes mm-hmm. referred to as a *dux femina*. She obviously ruled in her own right in Egypt. Uh, yeah. Dido, the mythical queen of Carthage. Cool. Um, yeah, so being a *dux femina* was seen as something women did when they were all when they were basically taking agency in their own lives and acting as men. Um, sometimes fighting in wars, leading in battle. Leading in a political way, um, being out front as opposed to behind the scenes, hmm. yeah,
1: yeah, those are like they all sound like very powerful women who really had a lot to gain or lose by stepping mm-hmm. outside of their roles.
3: yeah and huh. and doing that was explicitly a, a gender nonconforming act.
1: yeah, interesting. Because it also yeah. sounds, I mean, they're the ones I know about. Now, granted, I only know about Fulvia because I have listened to your podcast. But, like, everybody knows Cleopatra. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Like, hmm. A lot of those women um, turned out to be the women that got written about. So we know more about them because they did things that men had to deal with. So men wrote <laughs> it down.
1: <laughs> hmm. I yeah. mean, I, I still feel like I'm hearing a lot more arguments for, like, living your life the way that you want to. From mm-hmm. Lucretia to Cleopatra and beyond.
3: <laughs> you mean, like, for not following the gender binary as set yeah. forth by ancient Rome? <laughs>
1: yeah, they sound like they suck. Yeah, well, they did. <laughs> That's because they did. <laughs> so since we're talking about high-status women, mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering, like, if the gender roles that you were expected to embody as a woman were, like, different for people of different classes? Like, was it, was it kind of easier for someone of a higher status to get away with becoming a Dux Femina? Or is it just that we know about them because they're the ones who got written about because they were famous?
3: Well, um, it's because um, one of the difficult things that I have definitely found about doing the work that I've been doing is that most of our original sources just deal with upper class rich people. Um, they don't talk as much as you would like about um, the lives of, you know, working class people, people who were not, you know, were not aristocrats, basically. Um, So there's a whole lot that we don't know about how people navigated gender roles at different levels of society because it just was not written about as much, like it doesn't come down to us. Um, Mm. I can speculate, though. Yeah, Um, speculate. Okay, I'm going to speculate. I'm going to Put my tinfoil hat on and just go ahead and say some half-cocked uninformed things
1: awesome (laughs) right there with you
3: yes so uh depending on the time period in rome there were points when women had the right to own property and run their own businesses like they weren't always um just completely sequestered out you know somewhere in a room um this is a little bit less strict than it was in ancient greece where the standard was that you were not supposed to leave your house you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, But even in ancient Greece, which there's a lot of crossover, ancient Rome appropriated a whole lot of things from Greece, um, including some stuff about their gender roles. Um, My impression is that non-wealthy women in ancient Rome would have had to do things outside in the world because being able to divorce yourself from power or at least agency in the outside world is in some ways like something that you can do if you're privileged because you have money, you don't have mm-hmm. to work for yourself. You have slaves because it's ancient Rome. So yeah. you'd probably have an enslaved workforce to do things for you. Um and to be fair like people at all levels of society um had enslaved people in their houses. Like in ancient Rome, like even if you weren't that wealthy, you might have like one, but you huh. wouldn't have so many necessarily that you couldn't leave. You could get away with like not really leaving your house, you know, like women would have had to run businesses, they would have had to go shopping, they would have had to go outside. So my sense of things is that these gender ideals about not exercising power outside, being very submissive, being very passive, um, probably were, you know, less prescribed um, if you were not wealthy or less followed because women just didn't have the ability to do that, you know? Yeah,
1: that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm huh yeah it's it's really interesting to think about that that little like factoid that you kind of dropped like every like not everybody i'm sure but uh, most people like had a slave or two it's just wild to think about that as a reality like just a ho-hum everyday oh yeah like we have, a, we have a small apartment downtown, and there's just a little closet for the slave to sleep in. Like, I
3: know, isn't that messed up? What? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> what the hell is this?
1: What right? is happening? I, yeah. I, I really, this is totally like a tangent. I'm not inviting us to go down this path for a long period of time, but I do think it's worth mentioning here that like, colonization and empire building as far as I can tell has always depended upon slavery
2: yes like, it requires
1: mm-hmm. a workforce of non-paid or underpaid people to do the labor of building this thing and mm-hmm. I think that concept doesn't really get talked about a whole lot and I think it's very important to understand like especially yeah. when it comes to Rome but it's something that we just, I don't know, doesn't really enter into our conversations about it. Like, I don't hear people talking about slaves in Rome very often, even though they were everywhere. Yeah, yeah
3: I kind of want to do a whole thing about the parallels between slavery in ancient Rome and slavery in the antebellum South. Um, hmm. And I have like, I don't have the exper- the like expertise at that area of American history like I would like to. Like, it's huge. It's a huge topic. But there are a lot of parallels. From what mm. I can see, um, ancient yeah. Romans had these things called latifundias, which were basically um, industrial level um, agricultural plantations that were operated via slave labor. And huh. that was what fueled the wealth of the senatorial class.
1: Wow. I mean, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not surprised, but I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Especially in Julius
3: Caesar's time, a lot of those really famous senators like Cicero and, you know, Cato and all these people like Julius Caesar, I'm sure. I I don't know if Julius Caesar had a lot of fun. I'm sure he had a lot of fun. Everyone had some lot of fundias. Like, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Really messed up.
1: Kind of like our founding fathers.
3: Right. The founding fathers of ancient Rome.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Gross. Uh, I've got the like, I, like I feel like I need to like shake it off. Like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes you're just like, I need to take a shower now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so anyway, going back, going back uh, to what we're actually supposed to be talking about. Um, right. Okay. Right. So, so we do have info on the upper classes, and I feel like there's probably some very juicy gossip about high class individuals who did not always conform to the standards that they were supposed to. Um, Mm -hmm. like who, who did things that, you know, clashed with the gender roles and, uh, you know, prescriptions on sexuality? I want to hear all the dirt.
3: Oh, well, I have some gossip for you, Lindsay. Ooh. (laughs) Yes. I've got some gossip for you both. So, um, one of the people I really want to talk about, I'm really excited to talk about is a, a, an emperor named Elagabalus. So... Elagabalus was a child emperor of Rome. He was, um, his reign was from 218 to 222 AD. He was 14 when he was made emperor. I believe he was from Syria originally. Um, Hmm. We did an episode on him. We did a, like a two part series on child emperors and he appears in that. Um, Elagabalus, um, he did a lot. He was, completely outside the gender binary as prescribed by ancient rome um number one he wore silk which was reserved for women very promiscuous women by the way wearing silk was a cross-dressing move for men okay
1: at this time
3: yeah um he slept with both men and women used the women's restroom in the public baths this was a big thing gossip thing um Hmm shaved all his body hair, which was a thing women did, according to the ancient Romans. Um, But that is not, that is just the the surface level stuff.
1: Um, Well, hang on. So there were women's public baths. There were
3: women's public baths. Yes. I didn't mention that. Yes. There were public baths for men and women. And they were very, um, and there were probably bathrooms in the public baths, but I don't know for sure. I would
1: assume. So like, like you were allowed to go out in public if you were going to take a public bath. (laughs)
3: yeah well women did go out in public i mean i think i think that it's like you know this ideal that women were supposed to like operate behind the scenes and be the keepers of the hearth and stuff and like men were supposed to do all the business and do all the war and do all the things outside but like in reality that's not necessarily how it went um right okay fair yeah um so elagabalus um what i think is really great about elagabalus is he is a person that we might call transgender today um might be using the wrong pronouns. Um, I I feel weird because like, I'm like, we did a whole episode where I used he, him pronouns for Elagabalus, but looking back, I'm like, I should have at least used they pronouns. So Hmm. um, Elagabalus uh, at one point married a man who was a slave and a chariot driver and referred to himself as uh, the wife of this man. Wow, Um,
1: scandalous. Scandal,
3: I know. Um, He or she possibly created a brothel in the palace. Now, they all did this. All of the yeah. emperors who, who people wanted to castigate and some empresses too, made the palace into a brothel. Um,
1: <laughs> is this according to, like, tabloids?
3: Yes, okay. it <laughs> is.
1: Quote,
3: um, I think this is from Cassius Dio, he set aside a room in the palace and there committed his indecencies. Oh. Ooh. Always... Stexy. So, I know, always standing <laughs> nude at the door of the room, as the harlots do, <laughs> and sh- <laughs> and shaking the curtain which hung from gold rings, while in a soft and melting voice he solicited the passers-by. Um, very, very feminine,
1: feminine, feminine, feminine.
2: It is um, difficult though, well, because it's really hard to like try and use language from today in to describe people who lived in a time where they don't have that type of language to describe themselves and so you don't really know how they would prefer to be described right yeah it's a struggle
3: i mean the one clue that makes me think maybe we misgendered him her is this one from dio um i'm gonna give you a quote quote he carried his lewdness to such a point that he asked the physicians to contrive a woman's vagina in his body by means of an incision, promising them large sums for doing so.
1: Wow, okay. Yeah, that sounds, sounds likely like, as if if this person were alive today, mm-hmm. they would identify probably as a trans person. But we
2: can't say.
3: Yeah, it sounds like gender, you know, yeah. affirmation surgery, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, or it could have just been gossip.
3: Or it could have just been gossip. And that's the other thing is that um, these these writers would frequently say things like this about emperors that they really wanted to demonize. So none yeah. of this might be true. You do, We don't know. Yeah. It might all just be, you know, you know this writer with an axe to grind criticizing this. Because the worst thing that they could say about um, a cisgender man, a man that they would have considered, right. you know, in ancient Rome, is, th- is, that, um, is that that person was effeminate. So you could just see them, the writers, like, building on and building on and building on this gossip.
1: Yeah. Um, Huh. Interesting, though. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Elagabalus
3: was he was Syrian um, Eastern to the ancient Romans. And a lot of people uh, criticized him for following a foreign Eastern religion and having all these, you know, habits that really pushed Roman buttons about gender. Um, Hmm. Yeah, he did not. Apparently, you know what really comes off the page about him is that he just refused to follow the gender norms, and some of that has to do with um, ancient Roman prejudices about Easterners. Easterners um, were were supposed like Persians, for example, were supposedly effeminate too. So it's all kind of tied into xenophobia here.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, I was getting that feeling. Like, and mm -hmm. then like whatever Elagabalus did, they were like, oh well, everyone from Syria is like that.
3: Right. (laughs) It's wearing silk and eyeliner and using
1: the the bathroom, you know, (laughs) looking fabulous all the time.
3: Oh, God. (laughs) Elagabalus looked fabulous, fabulous all the time. Like that is definitely a thing.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's how I'm picturing it anyway.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Nero, the Emperor Nero, also said to be um, bisexual. He, uh, quote, quote, the, um, stuff from Sertorius, um, the 12 Caesars is, is really very lurid about Nero, quote, abusing freeborn boys and seducing married women. Um, there's a rumor that he castrated somebody and quote unquote, Mm -hmm. tried to make a woman of him, according to the sources, and then married that person. Um, Oh boy made them wear a a women's clothing during the marriage and um, treated him as a wife. Um, This seems to be non-consensual. I don't know. Like
1: on the one hand, you know, you do you, but on the other hand, like just performing surgery on people is generally like, don't, don't do that. That's (laughs) especially if you are not a surgeon, just let's just stay away from that.
3: Right. Well, that, that was a thing that happened in ancient Rome as well. Like people getting castrated as children and things like that. Um, yeah. yeah, worldwide, I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I It comes up a little bit in um, stuff that we've read about um, religions that were supposedly Eastern, but we're also reading these from ancient, you know, Roman sources. So it's a little bit hard to tell, you know, what is lurid rumor and what is true. Which
2: is so weird yeah. because they were c- clearly doing like this stuff as well. And then they were like, let's spread rumors that those guys are doing this terrible thing. while well, they're <laughs> at the same time oh, yeah. doing it. <laughs> Oh, yeah.
3: And and let's let's use this as an excuse to colonize them. Yeah. We also do yeah,
2: it.
1: Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that was not uncommon. Um, Absolutely. But we do it in a way that we're comfortable mm-hmm. with. So, you know. <laughs> right. We're Romans. We don't really do it that way. Um, yeah.
3: So Nero, he also um, supposedly married another man and referred to himself as the wife of this man. I'm not sure if they're married at the same time. Like, there's all these weird things about whom Nero married, like, and it's a little bit hard to parse, but Nero seems to have been queer in some way. Yeah, yeah
2: when we were doing um, our yeah, political sex scandals episode, we talked a little bit about Nero, but, like, when I was doing research, that's what totally kept came coming up over and over again was... Um, all of the people that Nero liked to fuck. <laughs> yeah.
3: Everyone, really. Everybody.
2: <laughs> Everybody. Uh,
3: sometimes he was the husband, sometimes he was the wife.
1: Huh. Or well, she. I guess it's important and, and... to know. That's the whole thing. Like, they need to know who's bottoming in every possible position. So. Right. And I think that's <laughs> I what that means.
3: Like, th- yeah. the way that it's put in the sources is he was the wife of this person, but the husband of this other person. And it just occurred to me as you said it, like, I think they're making a statement about who, who is bottom and who is top in each of those relationships. And they never switched yeah. it up. They always did it this one way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Every time. I know. Although Nero was clearly a switch, if we're Oh, yeah. That Nero
2: was, right. like, freaky. Probably yeah,
1: did like, sex stuff weird. that, switch, like,
2: man. I probably haven't even heard of
1: probably (laughs) probably teach us all something (laughs) i feel like nero had a lot more free time on his hands than any of us do (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) um caligula
3: also um has some scandalous things and i feel like caligula he might be the first of the emperors that had this kind of demonizing treatment i mean definitely there were um you know scandalous rumors about tiberius who came before him um Mm. But Caligula specifically, like, gets the sort of, well, he's effeminate kind of treatment. Like, Oh,
1: okay. Wait, was Tiberius the one with the, like, horrible, like, child sex island? Yep. I think I remember Ranch. this from an yep. episode. So, <laughs> yes. Like, I guess I should let you explain that a little bit.
3: So, and this, haven't heard it. this is extremely dark. Um, yeah. It's going to deal with pedophilia. So the lurid rumor around Tiberius was that he had this um, retreat in Capri where he would make um, aristocratic families send their children for him to have sex with in various ways.
1: And this was when he was emperor, right?
3: Yes. He kind of just uh, God, sort of talk- abdicated early, didn't like being emperor. He just sort of checked out and... Um, Let this guy, um, what's his name, Sejanus, his his captain of, like, the Praetorian praetorian prefect, um, handle things. And that became a whole separate thing. But while he was there, um, according to the rumors, he had, like, all these children sent to him to have sex with.
1: Yeah. So he was like, okay, I'm quitting my job and pursuing my true passion, which is being a horrible, evil miscreant. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But, like, but there weren't, like, lurid rumors about him.
3: Well, those were the lurid rumors, and he—he was—he um, okay. was, he was Tiber- Tiberius was Caligula's uncle, so mm-hmm. um, there is a school of thought about Caligula, you know, experiencing this abuse. Uh, li- he lived with, with Tiberius for a time. Um, he was like his mm-hmm. his um, ward because his father had died, and then his mom had died because she was exiled, and he was living with Tiberius. And um, that must have been at- a horror show. Yeah, at the Never- Neverland Ranch. So he must have seen some shit. Yeah. Is kind of what yeah. that's that's what the historians postulate. Um, hmm. Yeah. So
1: yeah, Caligula. That is very dark.
3: Yeah, his thing was he he supposedly slept with his sisters and his most of his male friends and acquaintances. Um, he was supposed to, uh, the word that comes up around Caligula when I read about him is catamites, which is a specific word for men who bottom in gay sex. Um, oh. yeah, he supposedly had a lot of sex partners who were at the bottom, because um, they have to point that out, that's all. Yeah, it's very so,
1: important, apparently.
3: But yeah. that did not mean that Caligula was not effeminate, because, um, here's a quote from Suetonius, quote, In his clothing, his shoes, and the rest of his attire, he did not follow the usage of his country and his fellow citizens, not always even that of his sex. Or, Mm. in fact, that of an ordinary mortal. He often appeared in public in embroidered cloaks covered with precious stones, with a long-sleeved tunic and bracelets, sometimes in silk, Mm. and in a woman's woman's robe.
2: Um, As an ordinary mortal. Interesting words. Yeah. Interesting words directly followed by a description of Elton John's attire.
1: Right, yes. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah. Um, I hope Caligula had some of those amazing sunglasses. <laughs>
3: if, if there were sunglasses yeah. back then, he'd have some Oh, yeah, them. totally.
1: Yeah. Good point.
3: For sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. The ancient Romans. So, like, it's it's wild to me that you can have a culture that's so built on these rigid gender norms and Mm -hmm. like rules about how you're supposed to perform your gender but then you can have like a succession of people at the very top like so much more the top of society than we even have in the u.s like actual emperor who is are just like meh fuck it i'm not doing any of that
2: well i mean the more money and power you have the more sex you can have and the more open you can be about it i guess
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, though, like how many of these people lived like long, full, happy lives and how many were like deposed and had horrible things done to them?
3: Well, many, many were deposed and had horrible things done to them. Some of them did live long, happy lives. I would say it wasn't the majority. I haven't done a study on that, but... It's actually funny, like, our early episodes, we did a two-parter on child emperors, and then we did a two-parter on the Praetorian Guard, and it was, like, kind of this long, what it turned into was sort of a a bird's-eye-view look at the entire history of the Roman Empire and horrible things that happened to emperors.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, like, I mean, they say that Nero is the one who played the fiddle while Rome burned, right?
3: Yeah, it's not true.
1: But, but, bad things happened at the end of his rain correct oh,
3: boy did they ever his death was really <laughs> creepy and haunting and um we tell that story in one of our episodes i forget it's really mm-hmm. long but um yeah it's very it's very creepy and haunting yeah
1: and like how did how did the end of caligula's reign go
3: well caligula got stabbed to death in a hallway
1: That's right. Okay, I had a feeling it wasn't a good one, but I couldn't remember what it was.
3: It was because he was he's a member of his praetorian guard, a very manly, manly man who had served with his father in Germany. Um, He used to make fun of this guy for being effeminate all the time. And like, I guess he had a high pitched voice and he used to always make fun of it. And um, he was the one who led this assassination um, to kill him because Caligula (laughs) was making fun of him
1: for being feminine wow (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh the gender fuckery the gender
2: fuckery is everywhere Uh, also (laughs) band name i call it yeah (laughs) the gender fuckery possibly a podcast (laughs) name (laughs) like we need another one of those right it's a freebie (laughs) podcast ideas
3: that's right It needs to be about something you cannot shut up about and everyone wishes you would. That was the advice I got.
1: So, like, yeah, I guess, like, my comment about people at, like, the upper echelons of society doing whatever the hell they wanted, being weird, like, that's pretty much what our celebrity class is for.
3: Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was, like, a, you know, a tabloid,
1: you know, business and everything. Yeah. So, okay, so we're basically still in Rome yeah
3: sometimes it's not uh, as explicit but yeah
1: (laughs) yeah i feel like there was like generally usually anyway there's less like deposing people in power and like killing them violently in the streets going on you know in america right now um but aside from that a lot of this is sounding very familiar
3: (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's like i said i feel like i'm mucking around in the basement of the patriarchy with the work that like everything it's like oh my god that's where this comes from oh my god like yeah. that's why we still think this yeah. yeah
1: well and then the interesting thing that keeps popping into my head is like how much of their religion specifically but also like culture the romans borrowed from the greeks before them
3: yeah um they appropriated a lot
1: yeah like oh, yeah, appropriated is a better word. <laughs> yeah, they, they
3: appropriated <laughs> almost everything. Hmm. And I think that there are scholars who would, you know, want to quibble with me about exactly what the Romans adopted versus what they didn't adopt in ancient Greece, and that's a whole rabbit hole that I'm not that interested in going down. But I'm yeah I definitely think that they appropriated like large amounts of Greek culture for sure. But they kind of put their own spin on it too,
1: you know. Hmm. In in what ways? Like what do you what are your examples?
3: Um, well, I think that the, well, the ancient Greeks were, were pretty warlike. They, they had the Spartans, but like the Romans really took the colonization thing and just blew it up. I mean, they wound up colonizing Greece in the end. Um, yeah they took the um, slavery culture of ancient Greece which i have not studied a lot of but i don't think ancient Greece had a lot of fundias you know like they took that and blew it up i mean their are gods like i haven't studied all of their gods and figured out what the difference is but like there's one that yeah. i've done a deep dive on which is Dionysus Dionysus was yeah. a greek god and um right yeah and the way that the ancient romans made him over um into bacchus and then into a god called liber pater it was kind of sanitizing Because Dionysus was specifically a god of, um, you know, uh, enslaved people in ancient Rome, not necessarily in Greece. I'm not exactly sure how that tracks in Greece, but in ancient Rome, a lot of enslaved people worshipped Dionysus and um, they kind of defanged Dionysus because he was at the heart at at the heart of two of the three servile wars that happened. Whoa. Yeah. Um, And he was very gender bendy, by the way. And I don't think that oh. was a coincidence either. Yeah. Oh, right.
1: Chaos. Mm-hmm. When people jen to the bent wait, jen to the bender Jen the bender
3: There are basically women in, his- in ancient Rome who were kind of held up as like the ideals. And you don't hear that much about them. Like Octavia, who was also one of Mark Antony's wives, who was like so nice and pure and sweet and submissive. And then there's um, this lady, Servilia, who was... Um, a mistress of Julius Caesar's. They were never married. Um, she was also the mother of Brutus, mm. who um, was part of the assassination of Julius Caesar. ouch. hmm It was all intertwined. she the, It's funny, because Servilia and Fulvia, in this time period, I really saw as kind of foils for each other, because Servilia was like the velvet glove power broker operating behind the scenes. You don't hear a lot about her, but she's definitely, you know, in my head canon, which is probably, definitely totally true um she's kind of (laughs) operating behind the scenes and she's kind of a fixer and she's very you know like the person to talk to but she's not you know women weren't allowed in the senate building so she's not like you know um wielding power in a very overt way versus fulvia who just couldn't do it she just could not operate that way she Uh was a she
2: was a sledgehammer you know that's pretty much what i noticed in like history though is you only get written about if you're really 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 good or if you're really 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 bad and nobody really yep. cares about you if you did something really really good they're like okay yeah yeah that person was really really good but if you were like, like a you just woman didn't <laughs> who did something really 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 bad then everybody wants to know about it and people talk about it absolutely also yeah like when me and lindsay have our bone marrow baby someday I want to name her uh, Vulvia. Can we back up? <laughs> oh, What's a bone marrow baby? <laughs> when you take the bone marrow and, like, use the DNA <laughs> to, like, make another human with it. Like, fe- <laughs> female bone yeah. marrow and female eggs to make a whole nother human. Whoa. Is it's this from thing. Asian alien? No, no. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's a thing thing. In fact, uh, Hank Green was talking about it today. Yeah. Oh, really? And I decided if we do, ever do that, we're going to name her Vulvia. Do it. Vulvia? V- <laughs> yeah, <D>? baby. <laughs> like, this is the most lesbian baby that's ever
1: existed. <laughs> this is our lesbian baby, Vulvia.
3: And we're going that's to amazing. raise you to be like yeah. Vulvia. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes, so... Fulvia was, first off, she was a gang leader. She had several husbands. Her first one was this, she's actually cool because you kind of get into the lower classes of Roman society a lot because she moved around. Like, she and her husband Clodius um, were gang leaders and they kind of, like, gang violence was a big part of ancient Roman politics, but they really made it into this, you know, like, really big thing, Hmm. you know? Like, they had, like, just armies of people in the city who would fight for them if they needed to like pass a bill or whatever, you know, and like Fulvia was very involved in this in the way that the ancient Roman sources talk about it. It's all Clodius, mm. which is her husband, but they oh. were also described as joined at the hip and Fulvia would push forward his policies even after he died. So, you know, like she was very involved. Oh, yeah. In this,
2: like, uh, you know what they say behind every great man. Is
3: a that's great right. Mm-hmm. Woman. There's a Fulvia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, And then eventually she married Mark Antony. She was like they were both two just like absolutely chaotic war elephants who just like to fuck shit up together. Like they were both completely out of hand. And then um, eventually she clashed with um, Octavian, who uh, was Julius Caesar's 18 year old heir. Mark Antony was Julius Caesar's right hand man, thought he should be heir but Julius Caesar just happened to make this 18-year-old who nobody had heard of heir right before he died. Um, Mark Antony and Octavian were, um, like, clashed a lot, and eventually Mark Antony fucked off to Alexandria to hang out with Cleopatra, and Fulvia went to war with Octavian, led armies in battle um, over some stuff, um, ostensibly on Mark Antony's behalf, but everything that was on Mark Antony's behalf was also about her power, so...
1: Yeah, she was really cool. Wait, so she was married to Antony. Yes. And then he was mad at Octavian. And he got so mad that he was like, fuck this, I'm going to Egypt. And went and started like palling around, by which I mean like having a lot of sex like very publicly with Cleopatra. (laughs) And while he was gone, Fulvia was like, well, fuck that, I'm going to take down Octavian.
3: Yes. Well, I mean, the parts about, like, how Mark Antony met Cleopatra, they're a little hazy. But eventually what huh. happened was he fucked off to, to Alexandria to hang out with Cleopatra. and Oh, to Alexandria. Right. Yeah, in, in so, Egypt. And and yeah, and, Cleop- and Fulvia, meanwhile, while he was doing that, went to war with Octavian.
1: Huh. Okay, so this is definitely me just, like, putting what I want to see on it. But I totally am having this, like this maybe fan fiction that I'm writing in my head where oh my god we do like, that
3: too all the time
1: <laughs> <laughs> where like Anthony is just in a consensually non-monogamous relationship with Fulvia and Cleopatra at the same time and they're like so Fulvia is like I still love you even if you're you fucked off to Alexandria and I'm gonna fight this war for you because I believe in you like
3: that's uh, very sweet possibly I can't disprove that. There are a lot of ancient sources. Well, there are ancient sources that say that the reason she went to war or, you know, something was to do with like she was upset that Mark Antony was with Cleopatra and she wanted to bring him back to her side and fight this battle Hmm. for him. I cannot say if that's true or not. Um, Hmm. I don't know. You know, like in ancient Rome, they really did not necessarily expect fidelity of men. But Oh boy, did they ever expect it of women.
2: Also, I mean, considering she's like very complex, uh I mean I imagine it's a little bit of everything and more.
1: Yeah, there was probably yeah. a lot that had very little to do with Mark Antony at all involved oh, yeah. in her decision making.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm. she's one of my favorites. I love her.
1: Yeah. But who was the other one we were talking about? Is it Servilia or Savilia?
3: Servilia was, Servilia um, was the kind of I see her as very much the opposite of Fulvia. Yeah. Like she's kind of one of those velvet glove people who's like in the yeah. background and subtly influencing people. And she really knew how to, you know, work the system and go with the expected women's um, power structure. There is not yeah. a lot written about her and how she did this. Um, there are a few clues in the ancient sources, but nothing like really concrete. Um, but that is absolutely my interpretation of Servilia. Yeah.
1: <laughs> hmm. It's really interesting. Like, I feel that in our current culture, um, like, women often get blamed for being, like, sneaky, you know, and manipulative. And I feel like the reason that that tends to be, like, the reason that women sometimes operate in a sneaky way, is because we are still taught, like, we're not supposed to be publicly influencing things.
2: Yeah. Like, well, yeah, the patriarchy made us that way, and yeah. other women uphold it. And so, <laughs> right. if you want to do anything, you have to be, like, sneaky, like, in the background. And...
1: Yeah, yeah, or, or live like Fulvia, just completely say fuck that to everything and deal with the consequences, which is, like, inevitably, at least 50% of people hate you at all times.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Go to war. You so know, you're either like Cervixia or Volvia.
3: <laughs> These are the best names.
1: Those will be C- the names in my fan fiction too. Cervixia and Volvia. Yeah. <laughs> These are Volvia the two bone marrow and- babies. <laughs> Volvia lived more on the outside, she was more visible, whereas Cervixia was more interior. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> oh my God, anatomy jokes oh
3: Wait, are we still talking about vaginas <laughs> i'm talking about
1: services i don't okay.
3: know about you I was, I was yeah i was definitely also thinking about vaginas so i guess we were pretty close
1: <laughs> oh my god so yeah. okay what i my like next question on my list was going to be about the role of religion in reinforcing gender roles but now we're like way f- far away from that so i'm not really sure if we can bring the conversation back around
3: well I do have a lot of thoughts on that actually um and a lot of it I think ties into what we've already talked about first off this is like a super broad topic and I'm just going to preface this by saying I have not studied all of the religions and cults dedicated to all of the gods that were in ancient Rome you know and also the ones that came from other places that people worshipped because there were a lot of religions that came that were kind of fads or like um you know, things that, that popped up that people started adopting in ancient Rome because the, the ancient Romans were appropriators, you know. Um, mm, good point. Yeah, so, and a lot of the time, the thing about these religions at this point is that people didn't write down, like they didn't have Bibles that wrote down what they did to worship this God. Like it's all pretty vague hmm. and we have a few inscriptions here and we have some carvings over here and from there we try to piece together what these rituals were, but it's like kind of hard to discern a lot of the time. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah, um, there were some gods that, um, really did reinforce the gender roles. For example, the Vestal Virgins always chased or you're going to get buried alive. Like there's that, um, yeah, there's Mithras who was a war God, um, all about justice. You could only be in the Mithras cult if you were a man, a cisgender man, um, But one really interesting thing that Jen and I found, we were researching our Spartacus series. um, And Spartacus's rebellion was the third of three large slave rebellions in ancient Rome that were called the Servile Servile Wars. And each of them occurred about like 30 years apart on a cycle. And Hmm. all of them at the heart of each of these rebellions was a gender bending god or goddess. And that's really cool each yeah. one not a coincidence right so it's um chaos chaos when genders right? bend
0: when the genders
3: <laughs> bend look out
0: <laughs>
3: oh shit right and this is why people get really upset about like anybody like conservatives especially get upset about people stepping outside the gender binary today because chaos oh no you know
1: yeah the systems start to break down yeah
3: so both, and Spartacus, if that's a system
1: of slavery, that's a good thing.
3: I would say. Well, you—it's a—it's a good thing. I mean, let's dismantle the patriarchy. Like, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, we are yeah. trying to
2: break down specific systems. So, I yeah. mean pop, they're oh, not that.
3: wrong. <laughs> they're not. I was—you actually asked. This is a little bit off-topic. Maybe we should. Maybe I should bring this up after I tell you all about the servile wars. But like, I was really interested when you guys talked about in your episode on femininity last time. <laughs> um, what does a decolonized gender society look like? Mm. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna talk about that af- my I had thoughts on it's, that but I'm gonna okay. talk about it afterwards. So I wanna get this out first.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All
3: right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, so both Spartacus and Salvius, who is the leader of the second survival war. Spartacus is the Spartacus War was the third one. He was the last mm. one. Um, the one that came right before him a guy named Salvius was the leader of that, and both of them worshipped Dionysus. And Dionysus yeah. Dionysus was very, um, very gender nonconforming. Um, Eunice, the leader of the First uh, Servile War, worshipped Adar goddess, who was a mermaid goddess from Syria who made who made men castrate themselves
2: who worshipped Whoa. her. Yeah. Um, oh, holy crap. Who we will talk more about in our episode on mermaids. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> you should.
3: So I have a Patreon episode all about Our Goddess. <laughs> Um, And she's amazing. I can absolutely help you out with the research there. Heck, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so Dionysus was, like, genderqueer. Uh, sometimes he was depicted as a kind of a beardy guy. And sometimes he was yeah. a young, very femme, young man. Uh, his followers oh. were maenads, always women. Drunk, sexually aggressive. Um, the women had all the power in his cult, and they were said to have orgies at which they allowed only the youngest, hottest men. And also, <laughs> no doubt, had sex with each other. <laughs> like, the, you were grandfathered into the cult of Dionysus. You could. They only, at one point, were like, you can only come in if you're, like, 18 to 20, if you're a man.
1: Um, oh, my God. I love that. That's hilarious. Yeah. And also... So if the Maynads are having sex with each other, then is one more feminine than the other, depending on who's doing what to whom? Or is that only for men? So
3: I think that's only for men because the ancient Romans, like the idea of women having sex with other women, from what I can tell, just completely broke their brains. Like, I don't think they even (laughs) thought that that was a thing. Like, I think it just... (gasps) Like mention lesbian sex and watch an ancient Roman completely melt
1: like a snowman. Oh in the my god! I'm totally picturing them doing all sorts of like weird hand gestures. Like, right. but how? But no, this
3: pe- is, Who this takes is, the penis? That's important to me. But who is the husband? Right. I need to know who the husband is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, does this sound familiar?
1: Yes. Yes, it right? does. <laughs> um,
3: So the other thing is about Dionysus, his mythology. There were periods in his life where he lived as a man and as a woman um, and as a non-binary person. Um, Yeah, there is a play called. Go ahead.
1: Can you tell me like a little bit about what it means for Dionysus to be living as a non-binary person? Like, what does that look like in a Greco-Roman context?
3: It's kind of hard to define like the Greco-Romans really didn't like people to be non-binary, you know, like, it's yeah. like, what clothes did you wear? Can I tell if you're a woman or a man at certain points in time? Um, there, I'm trying to think about the mythology of Dionysus and like where this specifically happened. Um, there was a point when he lived as a woman because Hera was chasing him. And oh. she he was like a. a <laughs> He was the son of Zeus and his um, girlfriend, who was not... And, and this was, like, a consensual relationship, like, from what I understand, like, not... Like, I wouldn't say <laughs> girlfriend. I wouldn't say girlfriend if, like, Zeus had, like, raped somebody, because that was mostly what happened. But this was, like, from what I understand, consensual. And um, hmm.
1: his... Okay, quote well, unquote, good on you, Zeus, for doing that at least
3: once. Right, at least one time. <laughs> 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 he was the worst. Um, but, uh, anyway... He was, like, um, you know, out of wedlock with Zeus and this other woman. And Hera, of course, wants to punish the child for that. So um, she was trying to find Dionysus and visit him with madness and all kinds of horrible things. And he disguised himself by living as a woman for some time. And it totally suited him. And he liked it. Yeah. And I think afterwards... You're yeah, right. And I think afterwards it was more about switching and sometimes being male and sometimes being female as opposed to being like straight up gender binary like you know, not either one, you know.
1: Okay. I, okay.
3: That's what I think because I think that being not one of the genders would also have broken the Roman brain or the Greek yeah, brain and sense. the Greeks were even worse. Yeah. Um Yeah. and and Dionysus is the name for the god in the greek sense um so but he was kind of like brought over to rome um mainly like via slaves and other people the other uh goddess who was at the heart of the first servile war was a goddess named Atar goddess she was a mermaid goddess um i love that her followers castrated themselves um and there's all this stuff in her mythology, and to to preface this, I'm gonna say that my ancient source for this was a guy who was, um, he was Roman, he was a Roman citizen, also a Syrian by birth, which was a Roman province by then, and a satirist. So it's a little hard to tell if he's satirizing this religion or if he grew up around mm. it and really saw what it was like. It's a little iffy. But his, huh. his account of it um, explains how people worshiping at our goddess would kind of work themselves into this frenzy, like this religious frenzy, and then hack off their genitals with a knife and then run around town and throw the genitals into into somebody's house. And then, oh my God. <laughs> right? <laughs> wow. And then, and then adopt women's clothing and perform women's chores in the house. And there is, I remember tracking this down when I was doing um, the episode on Ad Goddess that we did, which is in our Patreon, and um, there are worshippers of Adar Goddess depicted in The Golden Ass, which is the first novel written in the Western Roman world, and it's about a guy who gets turned into a donkey by, I think, Aphrodite, and yeah. event. Yeah. And eventually, I think at one point he winds up traveling around with this um, group of traveling priests of Adar goddess. And this is how they were depicted. And I think probably this is how they were seen in ancient Rome is the sort of these traveling hucksters who were, you know, conning Mm. people into paying them to do, quote unquote, miracles for them and stuff. And that they were um, really genderqueer, and there's a lot of like transphobic language in how they were described, and they were described as wearing women's clothing and makeup and wigs and like dressing up like women. But you know, like the source is like very clear that these were you know um, people who were outside the gender binary, and that <laughs> the novel does not like this. Like the, he does, it's not like kind to these people, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and like, it kind of just, it was, like, kind of a window into this ancient bigotry that is still with us, to me. Right. You know? Absolutely. And I definitely got this impression of worshippers of Adar Goddess as these, like, proud gender warriors who are not going to conform to this binary system, you know? Yeah. And doesn't surprise me that this religion is at the heart of a slave revolt either, so... Absolutely.
1: I mean, that's that's a goddess who's imported from elsewhere, as Mm -hmm. many slaves would have been, I'm assuming. So, like, you know, was brought into the Roman Empire by slaves.
3: Yes. And um, Eastern, that was a big thing for the ancient Mm -hmm. Romans. They thought Easterners were effeminate. That was a stereotype that they had.
1: Hmm. So it sounds like partly really awesome, but also partly like, yeah, like these people are being made fun of. Their religion is being made fun of.
3: Yeah, Hmm. absolutely. Yeah, it was it was being demonized, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, then again, if people are going around and throwing their hacked off genitals like into people's windows, like I don't condone that. That's not cool. (laughs) Don't do that to people. I mean,
3: that's that's where I think that was a satirization,
1: you know. I hope so. My God. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like like, like you wake up with like a pair of like disembodied testicles on your pillow. Like, oh, not again. Right. Oh, it's this been a few weeks. Every yeah.
3: Tuesday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Gross. Sounds like there's like kind of a grand tradition of religious figures undermining the status quo.
3: Oh yeah. I think you're not wrong there. That's awesome. Um I think I think that um the fact that all three servile wars had at the root a gender bending religious tradition doesn't surprise me because um being outside the binary, like the ancient Romans kind of like the ancient Greeks had this too, you know, like this idea that the family was the smallest unit of the state and the man is the head mm. of the household and rules over the woman who rules over the children. Like this is all an Aristotle or something. And then that, yeah. you know, is blown up to be, um, it's kind of like the state has like the heads of government ruling over the blah, 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 like all that stuff. Like yeah. this is all kind of seen as a unit in a way. So if you are undermining gen- gender roles, then you're undermining the family. And if you're undermining the family, then you're undermining the state at a larger level. Is kind of the through like, line that I see there.
1: Hmm. Um, yeah. That's so interesting. Like
3: And you see it directly playing out in these servile wars
1: yeah yeah like you're you're undermining the authority you are destabilizing the order yes the way that things are supposed to be and that's literally being played out like i mean slave revolts are the kind of the definition of undermining authority
3: yeah and and the ancient romans were all very afraid of of enslaved people revolting you know because they
1: had so many
3: slaves and they had these latifundias you know and Frequently, what they did was they would take war captives of conquered and colonized communities and bring them in as as enslaved workforces. And Mm -hmm. those people would have a beef with Rome, you know, and some of them had martial experience. So, oh, yeah, they were always like worried about that. And they were always really upset at the idea of enslaved people kind of um, upsetting the natural what they saw as the natural order of society. Right.
1: Like. Like that, going back to the beginning of all this, like, they deserved this. And yes. if you're trying to take it away from them, you're the bad guy. Don't mind right. the fact that we enslaved you and all of your people. Like, you're the bad guy because you're screwing up this, this house of cards that we have built upon your enslavement. Like, yeah. it kind of seems to me like, if you want to be not insecure about your, your authoritarian regime, maybe don't, <laughs> yeah. like, go grab slaves from wherever the hell you want.
3: Maybe don't have an authoritarian regime. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Right? Pro tip. If you're going to build a house of cards that is built on something that you are terrified of losing that Mm -hmm. could be lost at any moment, like, just don't build that house of cards. Maybe don't.
2: (laughs) Maybe don't. (laughs) way too (laughs) late for that. I have a career in comedy, so.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We're just like, wait, don't, how about don't colonize?
1: And I don't think that I really knew that Rome was like so intent on sort of the nuclear family unit as the building block.
2: Um, I was thinking about this when we did our episode on marriage. There was already so much in like the American like building of the nuclear family unit, which is why I'm really, really glad we're talking about it here, because I definitely wanted to bring that up, that the way that... Natives are colonized the way that they eventually even colonize Goes way back like way way back even a little before this I was just gonna
3: say like I want to do a caveat because um, Ancient Rome was sometimes um, a democracy quote-unquote like that left a lot of people out and still had obviously enslavement yeah. mm-hmm. um, So it's a little bit like I probably oversimplified the power structure a little bit of ancient Rome and some of that comes from ancient Greece and like statehood, Hmm, you know, but they did, there was a whole lot of appropriation going on and I still think it's applicable. So somebody Uh is going to be like, but wait, ancient Rome was sometimes (laughs) a democracy. I just want to put that in there.
1: (laughs) Right. Fair. But I mean, it's still, I feel like if you take sort of Rome from the very beginning to the fall of, of the empire, like you're looking at an authoritarian Like, top-down.
3: Well, it was imperial—yeah, like, if you look at the rape of the Sabine women, which we definitely talked about, like, that—it was a colonizing force from its very inception. Um, Right. When it was a democracy, that democracy left a lot of people out. There were a whole lot of points when it wasn't really a democracy. It was a dictatorship or, you know, one-man rule that was tacitly supposed to be a democracy, but it wasn't Julius Caesar— looking at you, <laughs> um, stuff like that. And then and then for, you know, after the death of Julius Caesar and, um, you know, the um, rise of Augustus, it was a basically a military dictatorship. So,
2: hmm.
3: yeah, that
2: yeah, was the situation. I, it's really, really important to note that, like, it's really easy to get stuck when we're talking about mostly American history as Americans uh, in this podcast Um, thinking that this all just happened here. But the people Mm -hmm. who had the ideas to do the things that we're talking about didn't just get those ideas off the top of their head. They came from somewhere. And that somewhere is history. These ideas were had before and were carried on and upheld for hundreds of years before they happened here. Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And... And if we go back to ancient Rome, there's still, they were coming from somewhere else before that, Right, you know, Greece, maybe Assyria, like, oh, there were plenty of other empires to look to for advice on how to do all this stuff. Yeah. I think, though, like, it feels to me like for a long time after the fall of Rome, I think probably primarily through the Catholic Church, which originated in Rome, you know, there's, like... The same set of beliefs, like the the familiarity of lots of what we've been talking about in Roman society is like, it is so close. Like, it is so similar to the way that we have been taught to be in America. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like it has changed remarkably little. Like, we're oh, yeah. allowed to go out in public now, but we're also allowed to be Catcalled and bothered, and expected to uphold these impossible ideals,
2: mm-hmm. and because they have and, been upheld for so long, yeah. and we haven't right. come that far. Yeah, yeah. because it's, sometimes it's women
3: police that boundary ourselves. You know, because mm-hmm. we're women. Yeah. There are women are vested in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're all part of this same culture now. Yeah, and we were all raised in some way or another in the same culture, like. I don't know, it feels, it feels really bad. I feel like so manipulated right now by people who have been dead for a really long time.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely, it's like my credit report. <laughs> it's like it's I keep expecting up. to get better and it never does. But ultimately <laughs> what it comes down to is my credit report is only real if, you know, somebody is upholding. The thing that says it's real. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Fucking why should it depress your life? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. it does. That's the thing. It does. And that's the crappy part. I want
3: I watch I watched I listened to the femininity episode. (laughs) And um one of you asked the question of like, what does a decolonized gender society look like? (gasps) Yeah. Um, And I was really thinking about that. And I was thinking, like, what if it looked like no genders? Like, and not to say that, like, there are not, like, male and female genders that are obviously divorced from your physical sex. But, like, Mm -hmm. there's no
2: prescribed gender role that you have to obey. Right. Gender isn't Mm -hmm. the defining thing in everything that you do
3: gender could yeah. be absolutely fluid and not right, right. not uh, attached to your sex at all or like what's in your pants at all.
1: Yeah. Your your role in society would not have to be prescribed by yeah. the the package you were born with.
3: Right. Like like what if we didn't need what if it wasn't so important To be the ancient Romans and know who's the top and the bottom or to be modern people and know who's who's a she and who's a he or whatever. Like, what Mm -hmm. if it just isn't as important and defining about us, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Obviously. Decolonize could literally mean taking the land back. But when we're talking about it in this context, we're talking about like decolonizing the mind and Mm -hmm. gender is all in the mind so if we were able to get around that and see gender as fluid or as not even any like not not the thing that defines everything that we do right then that's exactly what um we're looking at getting people to see here
3: yeah right you define your own experience of gender It's not something imposed on you, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think like the thing for me, the reason that I get so excited about talking about specifically these types of topics, like tracing the patriarchy back, you know, at least to Rome and probably beyond that, like, it feels really important to me to point out that people came up with these ideas. As a means of controlling other people and exported these ideas via colonization efforts so that they could control those groups of people and bring them into the fold bring in slaves bring in riches and you know keep their their top class at the top and keep things the way that they were and it has worked obviously like remarkably well like these rules in place about who you're supposed to be and where you belong and like what type of underwear you're supposed to use have (laughs) continued to influence us but like just because they're old does not make them right they are still arbitrary somebody still came up with them and came up with a way to convince everybody that they are like objective truths they're still social constructs yeah yeah.
2: Yep, that's also recognizing that while they are social constructs, they have real-world um, effects on real people. And so these constructs are actually a form of both physical and psychic violence.
1: Mhm. Absolutely. Yes. Mind control. Yeah. I'm not saying it was aliens, but it could have been aliens. Ancient but it Roman was probably aliens? Romans. Yes. <laughs>
2: romans, romans. <laughs> we need a meme of you being like romans yes oh my god <laughs> make it a thing yes
3: don't ask quitter to yeah. do it you don't know what you're gonna get
1: <laughs> oh my god i think i feel like we just solved a lot um we did and uncovered a lot and got some really juicy gossip along the way. Oh, yeah, we, totally. We, yeah. We decolonized like, gender. Yeah.
3: That's
2: what we yeah. did. We, well, we started, started to. Uh, we started.
3: We just yeah. picked at it a little. <laughs> we picked at the scab a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ooh, the, that's a good way to put it. It's it. still <laughs> oppressive to this day. We all need to rethink the way that we think, and it continues to impact everyone. Everyone. Mm -hmm. Right now.
1: Even the people who quote unquote are benefiting from it Mm -hmm. are victims of this and like that's the thing. I think this is kind of what what I was hearing a little while ago is is like Jenny was saying that like slave revolts like everybody in Rome and in all of the Roman colonies was like terrified of a slave revolt all the time. And it's like well if you didn't enslave people you wouldn't have that hanging over your head constantly. And that's kind of the thing about, like, these systems of control. I feel like, like, the microcosmic version of that is the, like, super hetero, like, angry bro. Mm-hmm. Who is, like, super mad all the time because he's always afraid that his status is going to be taken away from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, well, then don't build your entire sense of self on things that can be so easily taken away from you. hmm
3: I think that's yep. such a a really like good muscles. way to explain toxic masculinity.
1: Yeah, right.
3: Yeah,
1: and I I, I mean I, we all have those things. Like far be it from me to like go around just judging everybody for following the rules that have been coming down to us for at least two thousand years. Mm-hmm. But like the ancient at least Romans spend some are still time thinking about them.
3: They're still controlling our every move. <laughs> yeah,
1: but here's the thing. <laughs> Fuck you, Julius Caesar. Right. We Fuck
2: you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have identified this and we like this is our way of confronting it and calling yeah, it out yeah. so that we can resist it and so that hopefully we could give it other people the language and um the ability to identify it themselves and resist it so i mean in yeah. a way i guess we yeah. kind of did it right oh. we're so doing, we doing we give ourselves like thing. a little pat on the back
1: yeah yeah and julius caesar a little stab in the back yeah stab in the back for the patriarchy
3: as embodied by julius caesar (laughs) absolutely i'm pretty
1: proud of myself for that one way to go Lindsay! i'm so proud of you thanks thanks all right well i feel like we have been at this for a long time Mm -hmm. and now is probably a pretty good time to wrap it up uh, um james thinks it's time (laughs) thanks james (laughs) So, Jenny, thank you so, so, so much for coming on. Um, I would love it if you would tell our listeners where they can find Ancient History Fangirl and anything else that you want to plug.
3: Yeah. So uh, my podcast is Ancient History Fangirl. You can find it at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or Ancient History Fangirl wherever you get podcasts on whichever app you use. Yay. Yay.
1: Thank you, Jenny Williamson. Thank you for uh, having me. Are...
3: This has been so fun
1: oh yeah i have a feeling you'll be back i hope so <laughs> <laughs> Me just, like, too. just like Julius caesar just keep coming back
2: is, um, <laughs> my very first time i got to meet jenny and this was a blast i definitely oh, want yes. to do this again
3: yay i'm so glad i'm so glad i got to meet you and have this amazing conversation with you because this is exactly how i want to spend all of my nights is talking about this
1: for stuff. real right yeah, <laughs> <the time>. same, <laughs> same. <laughs> yes so, dear listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, we'll be back with our next episode in a week and that is going to be on the topic of fashion. So, if you're, you know, the fashion police well, if you're the fashion police maybe don't listen to us talking about <laughs> Maybe that. just don't be the fashion police. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> don't police people's fashion, fashion. It's fine. If you're into fashion and, you know, decolonizing and smashing the patriarchy you know what to do. Yes. So, we'll see you then.
2: Wait, what if they don't know what to
1: do? Oh, come, come back next week. Listen to our next episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Bye. Bye!
0: Let our love be a flame, not an amber. Say it's me that you want to dismember. Blacken my eye, set fire to my tie as we dance to the masochism tango. At your command, before you here I stand, my heart is in my hand. Ugh, it's here that I must be. My heart entreats, just hear those savage beats, and go put on your cleats, and come and trample me. Your heart is hard as stone or mahogany That's why I'm in such exquisite agony My soul is on fire, it's aflame with desire Which is why I perspire when we tango You caught my nose In your left castanet love I can feel the pain yet love every time I hear drums. And I envy the rose that you held in your teeth, love, with the thorns underneath love sticking into your gums. Your eyes cast a spell that bewitches The last time I needed 20 stitches uh, to sew up the gash that you made with your lash as we danced to the masochism tango. Bash in my brain and make me scream with pain. Then kick me once again and say we'll never part. I know too well I'm underneath your spell. So darling, if you smell something burning, it's my heart. Excuse me, take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. Fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre. Kism Tango.